Today's scripture comes from Hebrews 10, 23 to 24, and 1 John 3, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And 1 John 3, 23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. This is the word of the Lord. We continue in our series about the church and what it means to be the church. And you remember two weeks ago, if you were here or if you've listened on the podcast, we talked about that the local church, actually the body of Christ that meets particularly in in certain places uh, around the globe is important and actually Christ ordained that he says that the church is my body and how I've chosen to show my body within the world is through local gatherings of people who find their identity and the truth of who they are in me completely. And then we talked about yes uh, last week about how um, in that there are things that are expected of us as we walk as being those who are in Christ and, and things that we receive. We, we talked about participation. We talked about presence. We talked about partnership and how those are things that are expected of us as those who are walking in Christ, that we should be present together so that we can worship and get to know one another, that we should be participating in the life of the church and and what is happening and how we're serving each other in the world, and and that there's a partnership, meaning that there are those who are called to be leaders and there are those who are called to follow those leaders, and, and we encourage you in what that looks like. And then we talked about connection and the need for care and a calling that we have and that there is comfort that we receive as those who are gathered together in this world that we need courage to step into the world and be a shining light for Christ, that that we need care because the world is hard to live in and we acknowledge that it is broken. And so we need one another to walk with each other, that, that we are connected together and that God has called us to something grand. And if you'll remember last week, we talked a little bit about this verse in Hebrews 10, 23 and 24. We actually focused on 25 a little bit more than 24. And I said earlier in that sermon, we'll get back to this. Well, today we get back to it as we look at the one another's, that connectedness and what it actually means. But before we do that, I thought I would remind you of 2014 when Matthew McConaughey won the Oscar for the Dallas Buyers Club. You you might not remember that, but Matthew McConaughey is an actor um, and he won an Oscar. And when you win an Oscar, you get to give a speech. And he got up after sort of soaking it in. There's this great photo of people standing up and clapping and him with his head tilted back and his eyes closed, almost like he's receiving all the glory, but also thinking, I can't believe this is happening, like all at the same time. And he stood up and he gave this speech. I'll try not to do my best Matthew McConaughey impersonation, but I tend to find that when I talk like him, I, my twang from my southern Oklahoma Texan upbringing comes out. But he said this, thank you to the Academy for this, all 6,000 members. Thank you to the other nominees. Thank you. All these performances were impeccable. 
In my opinion, I didn't see a false note anywhere. I want to thank John Mark Vallee, our director. I want to thank Jared Leto and Jennifer Gardner, who I work with daily. He said, there are three things that I need each day. One, I need something to look up to. Another, I need something to look forward to. And another is someone to chase. First off, I want to thank God because that's who I look up to. And all of us in the church would go, yay, right? But wait. <laughs> he says, he's graced my life with opportunities that I know are not of my hand or of any other human hand. He's shown me that it is a scientific fact that gratitude reciprocates. In the words of the late Charles Layton, who said, when you got God, you got a friend, and that friend is you. False. <laughs> just, just want to make clear. False. When you have God, you do have a friend. That friend is not you. <laughs> that friend is God. Right? And he says to my family, that's what I look forward to. To my father, who I know is up there right now with a big pot of gumbo and has a big lemon meringue pie over there. He's probably in his underwear with a big can of Miller Lite and he's dancing right now. Probably not. <laughs> to my dad, you taught me how to be a man. To my mother, who's here tonight, you taught me and my two older brothers demanded that we respect ourselves. And in turn, we learned that we are better able to learn how to respect others. Thank you for that moment. To my wife, Camilla, and my kids, Levi, Vita, and Mr. Stone Livingston, the courage you give me every time I walk through the doors unparalleled, you are the four people in my life I want to make most proud of me. Thank you. And to my hero, that's who I chase. When I was 15 years old, I had a very important person in my life ask me, who's your hero? And I said, I thought about it, and it's me in 10 years. So I turned 25 years later. So I turned 25, 10 years later, and that same person comes to me and goes, are you your hero? And I said, not even close. And she said, why? And I said, my hero is me at 35. You see, every day and every week and every month and every year of my life, my hero is always 10 years away. I'm never going to be my hero. I'm not going to obtain that, and that's fine with me because it keeps me with somebody to keep on chasing. So does many of us, whatever those things are, or whatever you are looking up to, whatever you're looking forward to, and whatever, whoever it is you're chasing, to that I say, amen. To that I say, all right, all right, all right. And just keep living, huh? Thank you. Now, there's some sentiment in that that we can listen to and we can go, oh, yeah. And there's some clicks in our brain that sort of get massaged and in our hearts that kind of get comforted. And we're like, yeah. But if you dig just a little bit deeper into Matthew McConaughey's speech here, the person that he's thinking most, the thing that he is focused on most clearly is him. I want to thank these people because of what they give to me and who they make me to be. I, I want to thank these people who spent time with me. But ultimately, who's his hero? Him. And, and while he wants to push it out there and say, my hero is 10 years away and I'll never get to it. If you really dug deeply, I think you would recognize that his hero is him right now, right at this moment. You see, there's an epidemic that 
actually has taken place mostly in the Western world, but it is creeping in into other places throughout the global South and the majority world. This idea that who I am and what I believe about myself is most important. That my wishes and my desires and the things that I determine are right and wrong are the things that should be elevated most highly. Carl Truman, in his book about the modern self, puts it this way. He's stealing from another author named Holt, who says, not stealing, sorry, that's incorrect. He's quoting him, and he gives him credit with the term expressive individualism. But he gives us a better definition, I think. Expressive individualism holds that human beings are defined by their individual psychological core, or what they think of themselves. And that the purpose of life is allowing that core to find social expressions in relationships. Anything that challenges that is oppressive. What Carl Truman is saying, and what Holtz is saying, and what Matthew McConaughey is personifying for us, is this idea that what I hold to be the truth about me outweighs the truth that is actually out there that others might perceive. And more than that, it is oppressive if someone tells me something different. It is an elevation and an excess of the individual. Now the interesting thing about that is God is triune. The creator of the world, the one who spoke humanity into existence, lives in community. Desires to be known, not just by how he perceives himself, but how the triune works together in this beautiful mystery, revealing itself. And then he goes one step further and says, I want to be the God of a certain people and let those people be my people and I will be their God. That God was not satisfied even to be a community in and of himself within the Trinity. He desired to be in community with others. And in designing folks, he said, I want you to be like me, which means we are not designed to be individualistic. We are designed before the foundation of the world to be those who expand our knowledge of who we are and our particularness within the community. And God moves even further and says that community is within the church. The elevation of the self has seeped into the church, however, in oh so subtle ways. It can be as simple as talking about my personal savior. That sounds right. But understand, Jesus didn't save you personally. He saved you particularly. He saved you for you, however, as you are. But he didn't save you so that you alone could be saved. He actually says, I want a people. He saves a community. That's the reason why when he blesses Abraham at the very beginning of this story in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, and you can go look that up later, he says, I will make you the father of a great nation. It's not just about Abraham. 
It's about gathering in community. It even moves to a more practical sense. That often when we engage in church life, our question becomes, what is it offering me? What is it that I'm getting out of this? What am I receiving? And we talked about last week that there are blessings that you receive from being a part of a local body. That there are absolutely benefits of being part of a local body. But if your engagement with the local body is to only find out what you're going to get from it, you're going to miss the blessing of connection and community. In a recent poll done in 2021 about why discipleship can't happen in our churches without relationship, Lifeway found this out. This is speaking about mostly American churches because Lifeway is based there. 65% of churchgoers said that they can walk with God without other churchgoers. Personal. Private. I would dare say that the Bible and the way Jesus laid out his body to operate would fight against that for us. It would say that actually is falling into the way the world operates with that idea of expressive individualism, that we need one another in order to live our lives most fully in Christ. The English words one another, they actually appear appear in the New Testament just over 100 times. 94 of those times are in the New Testament. 47 of those verses are direct instructions to the church. One-third of the one another's command unity within the church. Just as a quick aside, unity is different than uniformity. Unity says you have your particularness. You are created uniquely. Unity says you are gifted differently. However, you have the same Lord, the same God, the same baptism, the same gospel. And because of that, our differences become secondary or third or fourth as we move towards this. The difference is that expressive individualism longs for uniformity. I want you to be just like me so that we can get along. And when you don't, expressive individualism says, you are unworthy to be part of me. Unity says all of us are worthy in Christ. And he makes us be able to operate together. So over a third of them are about unity. A third of them are actually instructions on us loving one another. Moving towards one another in that love. We see that in these two verses here that we're looking at today. Hebrews 10, 23 and 24. It says, and let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 1 John 3, 23 says, and this is my command that you believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and that you love one another. And about 15% of the one another's 
talk about humility. How we walk in a place of being humble and having deference towards one another. And so, as we walk in the place of being the church, as we walk in this idea of being the local body gathered together particularly for this time, for this moment, in this place, we recognize that in order to help us battle against our heart posture of wanting to have me be right, I've been placed in a group of people that I'm uniquely different from, However, I'm called to love them and spur them on to good deeds that God has laid out for us to do together before the foundation of the world. So how does that practically work for us? Well, the first thing you might do is you might look out in our gathering here today. And if you're like me, you look out and you go, who's gone? Who's not here? And then you think, oh, no, okay, they're here, and they're here, and that's great that they're here. Now, some personality types will look out and they go, I don't know half of these people. That makes me a bad Christian. And some of us will look out and we'll go, oh, I'm grateful I don't know half of these people. Well, that probably makes me a bad Christian. God gathers us together in a large group, and we're a fairly significant-sized group be great for us to be larger. It would be fine for us to be smaller, but we are who we are at this moment in time and space. And in this place, there are people together, learning, listening, growing together in the depths and knowledge of God's love. But if this is all that it stays, uh, then your interaction and your engagement will probably never get deeper to the place of being able to love each other well and spur each other on to good works. If I'm the only voice, and then the guests that we have occasionally, reminding you or challenging you or encouraging you with the word of God and what it looks like for you to be following after Christ, then you will miss the opportunity to dig deeper. Partly because I'm just not that deep. And so what God desires for us to do is be set in the large group. So that within that group, we will begin to recognize those that are within this group, whether it be because of affinity or geographical area or stages of life or uh, the fact that we all, you know, bear it for the West Coast Eagles or whatever, that, that we kind of go, oh, I kind of, I, I like to hang out with those folks. I, there's something about them that I connect with. And so the large group becomes just a little bit smaller. And so these are the people that you might go eat lunch with afterwards or, or you tend to congregate with after church. Now I'll remind you that we here at Fremantle, we say that you can belong before you believe, meaning you can be welcomed here. We, we want you to feel welcomed. And let me just praise you a little bit. Over the last month and a half, there have been certain visitors who have come and visited from other churches that have been around. And each one of them has told me, either in person or through somebody else, just how welcomed they felt here at Fremantle Church. I had one person tell me that they were greeted by seven different people, and that would never happen at their church. 
Now, part of me was like, yes, free man, all the way to go. Right? Like, down on you. I wanted to write their pastors and tell them. And, but the other part of me just gloried in the fact that God has somehow in his great wisdom gathered together a group of people who seem to want to welcome other people. However, it can't stay there. <laughs> we have to dig just a little bit deeper. We have to go just a little bit further. We have to say, oh, I, I need to enclose my group. Who are the people that I begin to hang out with so that I can love and spur them on? To, and, and then it, it moves just a little bit more. Um, see, that's the reason why we have Bible studies. That's the reason why we have prayer groups. That's the reason why we have our Sunday morning classes, so that you can get uh, just a little bit closer with people. So that in those times and in those spaces, uh, because they're organized, it provides an opportunity. Because let's be honest, our lives are busy. Things get in the way. And so it's good to say, well, on this particular day, at this particular time, I have a particular place to go with particular people. Because in that place, I can become known and I can know others. I can love and I can be loved by others. I can understand and I can be understood by others. I actually have the opportunity to love well and to spur on to good works. And then maybe within that group or even outside of their group, there, there might be one or two people that you feel like God is kind of connecting you together deeply in the spirit. And he's knitting you together, weaving you, as Paul would say, in the depths and knowledge of Christ's love for you. And you know that this is a person you can abide in, you can trust, and they can trust you. And you begin to form a, a, this band of followers together that says, I need you to know the deepest, darkest parts of me. And they can call you up on things. And they can encourage you in things. They can remind you of who you are in Christ and you can remind them of who they are. Now, here's the hard part about this. It's scary because we fear rejection. It's scary because we don't want to necessarily reveal all of who we are. It's scary because if you really got to know me, would you stick around? Or it's scary because you realize I don't really like people that much anyway. It's scary because you think, I'm pretty much better than all these people. But I don't want that to come out. It's scary because you're fully aware that they're going to live their lives differently than what you would like them to live their lives. And you can't control it. You can only seek God on their behalf and move to them. And so that's the reason why it becomes so much easier for us just to make attending a church a box that we tick to make sure that we've done the right thing. When God has in fact, through Christ, ordained the church to be his body, a body that walks to encourage, to comfort, 
into challenge. One of the questions that you'll find in your worship booklet refers to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in that passage, Paul is talking about his life of ministry and what it looks like. And he lets that church know that I loved you so much that I didn't want to share with you just the gospel, but my life as well. And then he goes on to say, remember how I encouraged you, comforted you, and urged you on. The way that we live in this one another is that we love the gospel so much and we love those who are God has put us with in the gospel so much that we can't help but share our lives with them. And in doing that, we will find the place to encourage them in their faith. You can do this. Let me carry you in this. We can comfort them in their faith and be comforted as well, walking along. And we can urge them saying, live a life that God has called you to. Stop wasting the gift of grace that God has given you. But turn away from those things that are separating you from that. So how does that happen? How does that happen for us? Well, it happens because of what Jesus says in John 15. John 15, Jesus does this great I am statement. He says, I am the vine and the father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful You've already been clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me, he says, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, meaning it must be in me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I am you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And if you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And then he says this, And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one of his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father. I have made known to you and you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask for in my name, the father will give you. This is my command that you love each other. We can only do this because God in Christ, loved us first and gave himself 
for us. So through Holy Spirit, we are empowered to be those who walk away from our excessive and expressive individualism and into the beautiful community that is his body so that the fruit we bear will bring glory to God and we will know and love one another as we do the work that God has called us to. Let me pray. You're good and gracious, God, and we thank you for your love for us. We ask for your grace to be poured out on us, and we ask that if there is anything that has been spoken today that is not from you, Father, that you will burn it up and that it will go away. But whatever is from you, that it will take root in our lives and it will bear the good fruit that you produce and that it will give you glory and honor and praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen.